Amen. Thank you, Brother Terry. Thank all of you for taking part in worship. Thank our choir and our praise team, and thank all of you taking part. And Brother Terry, thank you for that song. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 9 through 14, and I'm going to share with you the sermon, a sermon this morning. I've just entitled The Sinner's Prayer. The Sinner's Prayer. Terry was talking about the hands when Christ's hands saved us, you know. I know he died on the cross, and I know that uh, the Bible teaches that when we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ came and he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he arose again. And we humble our hearts. We ask him to come into our life and, saves us, and save us, and he does just that. He saves us. But he died on that cross um, as our substitute on our behalf. But we were saved, saved someday. I'm hoping that if you're not a Christian, I hope if you've never been saved, that today you'll be saved. I was at Rockwood Baptist Church at 11 years old when I was saved. Terry, where were you when you were saved? About 16, when you were 16 at your dad's house. Corey, where were you saved? At a tent revival. B, where were you saved? Mom and dad's house. Susan, I know where Susan was saved. She was saved in her little flower garden there. And we sat at a table and she prayed, asked Christ to come into her life and save her. And, and uh, Jimmy, where were you saved? Oak Grove Baptist Church. So uh, I remember Charles Messer used to give a, a, a testimony where he was, he was saved in a cornfield. Never will forget Charles' testimony being saved in that. Anybody else saved in a cornfield? In other cornfield salvations, we'll recognize them, anyone. Different places, God reached down and, and saved us. We're going to look at that today, Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 14. If you're able, please stand and we'll read and follow along as I share these verses out of God's inerrant, inspired, and fallible word. Luke 18, verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and despised others. Now he had a group. He had a he had a group in front of him, and he's dealing with some pretty righteous people, or they thought they were. Verse ten: Two men went up. This is his parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself: God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all my, possess my possesses. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat on his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said in 14, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to come together today to worship you. Time to study your word earlier, and now 
in corporate worship. And Father, now we open your word, speak to our hearts as we allow your Holy Spirit to be our guide. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. Uh, Father, thank you. Be, be uh, glorified in this service this morning, and I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. I'm going to leave this passage of Scripture just for a moment. I'll come back to it. But let me just share some thoughts with you about salvation. As Southern Baptists today, we believe the Bible teaches that mankind, men and women, are of the Adamic nature. In other words, we're after where our bloodline goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. We're from the Adamic nature, and uh, we're born in sin. Uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and they passed that bloodline of sin all the way down to us, and so we're born sinners. I've said before, Mother didn't have to teach me to do wrong. She had to teach me to do right, and I, I had that sinful blood in me, and um, um, so she had to teach me to, to do right. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says it this way, Just as though one man's sin, or just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. Romans 6.23 verifies it, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. With that said, we believe... Southern Baptists believe, because of our sinful nature, that we've been separated from God. So we're born sinners, and when we're born sinners, we're separated from God. We can't have fellowship with a righteous God. Separated from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 bears that out, and it simply says, But your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Now, I like, um, uh, as Southern Baptists, we believe the Bible teaches because of that sinful nature that we're condemned to die physically and spiritually, meaning being separated from God forever. And the Bible verifies that in Romans chapter 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. However, we believe the Bible teaches that before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. We're sinners by nature. We cannot save ourselves. The wages of sin is death. We're kind of in a mess. But from the foundation of the world, God, the Bible teaches, had a plan to redeem man, meaning to bring forgiveness, to forgive man, to give man eternal salvation, eternal life. And we believe that the Bible says, For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we find in Romans 5, uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, we believe through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life 
Verse 19, for as one ma- by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So sin came into the world by Adam because of his disobedience, one man. And then because one man's righteousness, we all can receive righteousness, the forgiveness of sin, and eternal life. We believe that Jesus was delivered up, Romans 4, verse 25. We believe that he was delivered up because of our offenses, and he was raised because of our justification. Now, I really like what the Amplified Version, how it translated Romans 4, verse 25. Listen to this. I don't believe it will be on the screen. Who was betrayed and crucified because of our sins and was raised from the dead because of our justification. Uh, justification, our acquittal absolving us of all sin before God. Isn't that great? Say amen if it is. It's great. We can have, we can be justified. We can be saved because what Christ did at the cross. And we believe that this is the gospel of grace. Now, What's the gospel? Now, I've shared this with you, but you need to remember where you can find it. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. Listen to God's word. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you being fast, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel. Christ came, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. If you believe that in faith, now don't believe in vain, but believe it from your heart. Sincerely believe it from the heart, you'll be saved. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so with all that said, how can I be saved? First of all, based on our history, Adam and Eve and what the bloodline was coming down, first of all, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm lost. I'm separated from God and I can't save myself. It's not of works, at least any man should boast. Then, at, when I was 11 years old at Rockwood Baptist Church, at, at the same time, simultaneously, Someone has said that their uh, repentance and faith are are two sides are two sides of the same coin. In in repentance, I turn from my sin. In faith, I turn to Jesus Christ. I turn from my sin. I turn to Jesus Christ in faith, trusting what He did on Calvary to save me from my sins. And then, after that, I confessed him to be the Lord of my life, to, to be Kuros, the one that had control and authority over my life. And this is what the Bible says in regards to confessing 
Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Starts in the heart. But with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, you call on the Lord to save you. Notice what he said in verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call on him. For, verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so thus the message, the sinner's prayer, Calling on the name of the Lord. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now you remember in Luke chapter 23, uh, Luke chapter 23, let's go to the cross just a minute. Luke chapter 23, and let's look at verse 39. And if you remember, there are two thieves there, one on each side of Jesus, and this is what happened. One of the criminals, verse 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. And so he turns to Jesus and he said, he blasphemed him, probably cursed him, and he said, if, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. But the other, verse 40, answering, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? Notice verse 41, and we indeed justly, we deserve this because of our deeds. We're sinners. He's really admitting that he's a sinner. We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He's sinless. Verse 42, and then he said to Jesus, looked up to Jesus, and he said, Lord, now he's praying to Jesus. He prayed to God. Jesus is God. Jesus is, is there, and Jesus is hearing everything he said. And so he's, he's praying to Jesus, and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now he said, Lord, he, he confessed him as Lord. Kuros, one who has all power and authority and control. But he confessed him as something else, if you notice. He confessed him as a king. He says, remember me when what? You come into your kingdom. So he is the Lord. He was given that name and that position by God, according to Philippians chapter 2. But not only is he Lord, but he's the Messiah. He's the king. He's the one that they were looking for. He was the king. Now, I know there's going to be some who's going to disagree that a person can pray to receive Christ. That's nothing new. Uh, and I understand the concern that, that, that a prayer can be misused and a prayer can be abused. However, I know within my own heart and the majority of the preachers that I know that I've never sought to mislead an adult, and I've never sought to mislead, especially a child, to pray to receive Christ. Without first sharing the gospel with them and being thoroughly about explaining the gospel to them, explaining it totally, sharing with them. Now, some's going to say, well, you know, 
they know people who prayed and their life never displayed any fruit whatsoever. Well, you know, that could have been because they may have been in a church that just failed to disciple them. All they understood, and listen, I grew up in a church like that. All we did is went to church, went to Sunday school. We never were really discipled. I grew up in a church like that. Some of you may have. Now, that may be why there's no fruit in their life. I don't know. And some will say, well, there was probably never any authentic faith to begin with. Well, that's a probability, true. I'll agree with that. They just wanted to get saved, to get something out of Jesus instead of giving something to Jesus or being a part of the mission of Jesus. Just remember this. It's a biblical concept to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you and come into your life. Now, we admit that we're sinners. We repent simultaneously by putting our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, in his death, his burial, his resurrection. Then we confess him as Lord because we trust him as our Savior and we call on him to save us. And the Bible says, the Bible teaches that we can receive him into our lives. We can accept him. We can receive him. I believe John 1 verse 12 puts it this way. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God or the children of God. Even to them that what? Believe on his name. So there's scripture that we can receive him, we can accept him, we can call out to him, we can be saved when we call out to him. You say, well, Brother Sammy, can you pray and not get saved? Yeah, you can do that. I like what Steve Gaines said. Steve uh, Gaines said this at one time. He said... Um, Talked about being a preacher and talked about marrying people. And, and that's a good illustration. Uh, your wedding vows. You know, I, I think I've married over uh, 80 people somewhere along there, 80 couples. And I've had a number of couples stand before me. And I've led them in that vow. I really have. I've, I've led them in that, in that vow. And, and every couple vowed, they, they said their vow before God, before their friends and their family, and before me. But the question is, did they mean it? I mean, I led them in it. Did they mean it? Well, I hope they meant it. I don't, I don't know if they meant it. I go back and look at my records, and almost half of those didn't mean it. But at the time, I, I didn't know that. But I explained to them about marriage, and then I led them in reciting the marriage vows. And they recited them. So the point is, you can pray the sinner's prayer and not mean it. Many have done that. And many will do that. However, if you ever pray to you, you say, well, I believe a lot of them have. Well, I may, they may have. I believe they have too, and not meant it. But let me ask you this. Have, have you ever prayed a prayer and not meant it? Have you, ever, have you ever prayed a prayer and made a promise to God and, and not keep it to God? You prayed that prayer and you didn't mean it? You didn't keep it? Sure you have. I have. So just praying a prayer won't save you. But let me tell you this. You can't be saved without praying a prayer. 
by calling on God, asking God to forgive you and come into your life and save you. Now, there are several messages found in Luke chapter 18. I've got to really hurry here, so listen real quick. Verses 9 through 14. There's so many I could pre- not everyone who goes not everyone who goes to church experiences God. That's a message in here. Not everyone who goes to church goes to heaven. That's a message. Not every not all good people go to heaven when they die. That's another message. So what's the essence of Luke 18, 9 through 14? If you want to be right with God, you must cry out to God. With great humility. This is on your outline. Cry out to God with great humility. Now I want you to notice, I want you to contrast between this Pharisee and this publican, this sinner. The Pharisee was a very religious person. There's about 6,000 of them during the time of Jesus. And they were very religious. I mean, they knew the Old Testament frontward forward and backward they wore the phylacteries around their forehead around their arm the phylacteries contained uh, the first five books uh, genesis exodus Leviticus, numbers and deuteronomy they had all those memorized they stood on the street corners and prayed real loud where everybody could hear them and they would go into the temple and they would go down front and they would be right near the holy of holies and so that was a pharisee So you contrast these two that went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, real religious, very religious, but he was lost. He was the same as Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, came to Jesus by night, secretly wanted to know how to to go to heaven when he died. And and, and he he was religious, but he was lost. The same as the rich young ruler in Luke 18, verse 18. He was religious, but he was lost. You can be at church today, and you can sing, and you can do all the religious stuff, and you can be lost. So the point is, the Pharisee had all the trappings of religion, but he was lost. Now the publican, contrasting, the publican, publicans were tax collectors, and they were very hated because of their dishonesty, because they were, they were thought to be maybe the, as low as you could go. Uh, they were perhaps, I mentioned dishonest, they were considered to be thieves. But he was the last man in the world that you would expect to be commended by Jesus. So here's, here they are in the temple. And the real contrast comes is when they go to the temple to pray. Now notice the Pharisee begins to commend himself. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. Verse 12 says this. Let me find it. I fast twice a week. I give all tithes of all that I possess. And, well, verse 11, he goes before that. He says, I'm... He says, uh, I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust and adulterers, or even as this old tax collector over here, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. He's just really bragging on himself about how good he is. Now notice the publican came before God. Here's Here's the Pharisee, and he's just sharing about how good he was and what all he's done. But this publican came before God, and he had a sense of unworthiness about him. And notice the place where he prayed. The Pharisee was down close to the Holy of Holies, and this publican, he he was back in the back. He stood afar off, the Scripture says. 
He stood afar off. He felt unworthy to approach God. He felt that God was too holy for him to even be close to. So he, 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 his humility was in his unworthiness. His humility was seen in his posture. The Pharisee stood and prayed and looked to heaven. If you'll notice, the publican, the sinner, he stood afar off. He felt so unworthy, he wouldn't even look toward heaven. He wouldn't even look toward God. And so here's the point. A person cannot pray and call on God without recognizing his unworthiness. It's a humble heart as we come before God, especially when you're saved. You're separated from God. You're at God's mercy. You're, you're wanting God's forgiveness and his grace, and you humble yourself. It's not how big and mighty and powerful you are and religious you are, but you come with a humble heart. So the sinner's prayer is one of humility. Number two on your outline, the sinner's prayer is an expression of a great need. You see that? The Pharisee, he had no need when he went in the temple. He had it all together, and he didn't need anything from God. He just went in bragging, and he felt that God, he felt good about what he was doing, and he didn't ask God for anything. Did you notice that? But the sinner had a need. The publican had a need. Look at verse 13. The tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his head to heaven, but he beat on his breast, saying. Now, he's standing there, and he's praying, but he has a need. In a way, we know he has a need. Need he's, he's beating on his chest, and when he's beating on his chest, he's thinking, there's something inside of me. There's something inside of me, his heart, that's wanting me to get to God, to reach God, because I'm separated from God. So he, he had this gesture about him. Now, there's no merit in a gesture, but this gesture was an expression of a need that he had in his heart. In some way, by beating on his breast, he was saying, you know, the source of my wrong is in here. It's, it's, it's in my heart. And he felt a sense of guilt and hopelessness and despair. And he was just declaring himself guilty before God. And his gesture expressed that great need that he had in his life. See on your outline, his prayer was personal. Personal. It seemed to he 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 seemed to remove himself from everyone else. He he didn't go up front. He stayed in the back. Didn't want to get. It was real personal to him, and his prayer was specific on your outline. It was specific. And what was his prayer? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That was his prayer. God, please deal with my sin. Be merciful. Deal with my sins so your anger will be removed from me. Notice, it's a prayer of, he was specific, but it's also a prayer of reconciliation to God. He acknowledged that his sin had separated him from God. Here's the point. Everyone who prays the sinner's prayer in a heartfelt way recognizes that they're separated from God. I, was, I knew I was separated from God. You were saved here. You, you shared. You were saved today, and shared where you were saved. Were you separated from God? Did you know that. Yeah, you knew that, and and this person knew that. So today, today, um, 
Is your identity like the publican or is it like the Pharisee? The publican, can you identify with the publican? He recognized the holiness of God. He recognized the great need in his life. He was separated from God. And he, he cried out to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So here's the point. Unless you feel honest with those words, unless when you cry out to God to be saved, unless you feel honest with those words on your lips, you're nowhere close to the kingdom of God. You're just as far as you ever were. You have to be honest with God in your heart. So the sinner's prayer comes out of conviction of a need, a prayer of great humility, a prayer expressing a great need, a prayer heard from God. No one heard the Pharisee's prayer but the Pharisee. Keep that in mind. Verse 11, he spoke to himself. God really wasn't listening. But there's some good news in verse 14 for the publican. He says, I tell you, Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so the sinner went home right with God. The sinner was justified, made right with God. And that good man, that religious man, he went home without God. The sinner was justified. That word justified is passive. It means that God did all the justifying. He didn't do anything but call out to him. God's the agent. Man didn't justify himself, God did. So the point is, the man acknowledged the need, made the plea, called on God, and God did the rest. So here's the question as we wrap up. Are you saved, or are you just religious? Admit that you're a sinner. Now listen, this is, this is going to be the invitation. Admit that you're a sinner. Repent simultaneously believing that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross in your place for your sins, my sins, the world's sins, was buried and on the third day rose again and he's coming back real soon and confess with your mouth. That's what the Bible says in Romans 10 verse 9. If you believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth. Confess him as Lord and then call on him to save you, expressing a great need with humility, and he will hear you. So that prayer is expressing what you're feeling on the inside and the desire that you have. In 2012, this was a heated subject in the Southern Baptist Convention, and it comes up occasionally. And so in 2012, Southern Baptist Convention was meeting in New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, there were, uh, I got the note here, there were 7,870 messengers there. And they met there at the Southern Baptist Convention, 7,807 7, messengers in attendance, and they took a vote whether to affirm the sinner's prayer or not at Southern Baptist. And over 80% of those in attendance voted to affirm the sinner's prayer. And over 80% would be more than 6,300 that were there. 
And so what I did, we typed this up, and I want to read this to you to let you know what Southern Baptists believe about the sinner's prayer. Here's the, here's the, here's the affirmation, affirmation. Whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ offers full forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God to anyone who repents of sin and trusts in Christ, and whereas the same gospel commands all persons everywhere to believe this gospel and receive Christ as Savior and Lord, your scripture follows. And whereas the scripture gives example of persons from diverse backgrounds who cried out for mercy and were heard by God, Scripture follows. Whereas the scripture also gives numerous examples of persons who verbally affirmed the gospel truths but who did not personally know Jesus in a saving relationship, the scripture follows. And whereas empty religion and formalism of whatever kind apart from the personal relationship with Christ cannot wash away sin or transform a heart, Scriptures to follow, and whereas the Bible speaks of salvation as including both a confession with the mouth that Jesus is Lord and a belief in the heart that God is raising from the dead, now therefore be it resolved that the messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention meeting in New Orleans, Louisiana, June the 19th through the 20th, 2012, reaffirm our gospel conviction that repentance from sin and personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are necessary for salvation, and be it further resolved that we affirm that repentance and faith involving a crying out of mercy and a calling on the Lord often identified as a sinner's prayer, as a biblical expression of repentance and faith, and be it further resolved that a sinner's prayer is not an incantation, incantation that results in salvation merely by its, its recitation, but should never be manipulatively employed or utilized apart from a clear articulation of the gospel. Resolve, be it resolved that we promote any and all biblical means of urging sinners to call on the name of the Lord in prayer of repentance and faith, and be it finally resolved that we call on the Southern Baptists everywhere to continue to carry out the Great Commission in North America and around the world so that sinners everywhere of every tribe and tongue and language may cry out to God to be merciful to me, a sinner." Luke 18, 13, June the 20th, 2012, Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans. That's what Southern Baptists believe about the sinner's prayer. Did you cry out to God? Have you cried out to God? If you're a Christian, more than likely you have called out to God. If you're not a Christian, you need to call out today because he's waiting to save you. And he passes by. You know, when we give an invitation... God passes by. He passes by every chair, every pew in a church, every chair. He passes by for you to call out. He's here. He's here today. He's here for our invitation. I received this uh, Friday, just when I'm working on this sermon, from the Franklin County Jail. Dear sir, I've accepted Jesus in my life. I'm an inmate here at the Franklin County Jail. And I went through the ABCs of becoming a Christian, becoming saved. Y'all come and fed us during Thanksgiving last year. 
And I hung on to that little piece of paper that you included with your meal. And it stated that I should get in touch with y'all concerning valuable material. Anything would be helpful because where I'm kept, we aren't being ministered to by anyone currently. Thank y'all for any help in advance. Thank you so much for your time. Kept the little piece of paper. Sometime, looked at that paper, realized he was a sinner, realized he needed a savior, turned from his sin, paying for his sin, turned from his sin, cried out, no doubt, asked Christ to come into his life and save him. Just in time for me to share it with you this morning. How about that? You know, uh, we're going to sing just as I am. But there's, a, uh, there's an invitation that was taken out of the hymn book when they printed the, I forgot what edition, the last edition we had here at the church. And a hymn we sing all the time, you know it, it's called Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Let me at thy throne of mercy find a sweet relief. Kneeling there in deep contrition, help my unbelief. Trusting only in thy merit, would I seek thy face. Heal my wounded, broken spirit, save me by thy grace. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Well, he's calling you today. You've never trusted him to be your Lord and Savior. And let me encourage you to respond to that call. And you do that by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've taught us this morning. I remember, I don't remember the date, but I sure remember the, remember the years, 1961, but I remember the Spirit's prompting in my heart. And something happened, Lord. And I said, oh God, please save me. And I got up and I took a step. I don't remember the rest of them. But I know I called out to you to save me. And I know when I did, you, you did. You saved me. And I haven't been faithful like I should have, especially in those younger years. But, Lord, all that's in the past. And so I pray for each person here today. I pray that each one can remember the time they called out to you. House, or the church, or in the cornfield, or in a flower garden, wherever it was. At that time, you saved them, Lord, as they believed and expressed that belief by calling out to you. And I pray today that you would um, speak to hearts here that never called out to you. I pray that they'll see that they're separated from you, Lord. And the only hope they have is in you, and you're calling them now. And I pray they'll respond and say, Yes, Lord, I want to be saved. Work in the hearts and lives of people today, and may you be glorified and honored in everything that takes place in Jesus' name. 
Amen.